So how many of you are facing a, what I call, crucial conversation? You know, it's one of those, what I call, tough talks that you'd rather not necessarily be engaged in. Or maybe you had one with someone who came to you and said, you know, can I uh, have about a half hour of your time? I need to sit down and, and lay something out. It may be with a family member, husband, wife, father, mother, child. It might be with a brother or a sister or a, a, a cousin. Someone, I mean, I remember a couple of tough talks that I had with my father and preparing my heart to talk to him. And, and, and I think it was only right that I had those because all throughout my life he had a lot of tough talks with me. Maybe it's with someone at work, a coworker, or an employee, or a direct report, or your boss. Maybe it's with a friend or a neighbor. Could be any kind of situation, and maybe you've had one of those and it didn't go so well. It was one of those difficult conversations, and you go, oh, I wish I could have done better, or I wish I could have prepared better. Or maybe you had one and you go, wow, man, it was really neat how God worked. Well, tough talks are opportunities for you and for me to grow spiritually, relationally, and emotionally into being healthy individuals. They're great opportunities to do what we talk about as a church as we have a mission that we want to follow, and that mission is to take the next step, and it may be for you, it's a tough talk. To take that next step to know Jesus more intimately, to follow him in the way he does things more closely. And actually, the whole thing we're about here is to become like him. To become like him who loves his father and who we saw in the life of Jesus loved others. And wasn't afraid to have some of those tough talks. And he waited for the right time, the right occasion, and, and he would pray. I, I know he would go off on a little, and he would have some of those very tough talks. We've been looking at this little letter, Philemon. And in Philemon, it's tucked away in the New Testament between Titus and Hebrews. And often, pastors don't even preach on this because it's just such a little letter. And, and we, we are trying to do five messages on this. And honestly, I think we could do more. But this is this little letter that Paul at one point wrote because a guy named Onesimus, who was from Colossae, which was modern day, Turkey, he had been in the, a slave in the house of a man named Philemon, who was in a church there, one of the new churches that was not necessarily planted by Paul himself, but when Paul was in Ephesus, someone probably went there and helped plant a number of these churches that met in houses, and Paul has this guy, Onesimus, who is now in Rome, who's traveled all the way to Rome, probably um, as he's run away thinking, I'm going to be free, I'm going to have a great time, and then at some point, he ends up with Paul, and Paul leads him into an understanding of his true identity, that he's not a slave, but he's a son related to Jesus Christ. And Paul is sending this letter with a guy named Tychicus and another guy, and and, and Onesimus, and he's saying, Onesimus, here, I want you to take this letter back to your owner, Philemon, and I'm going to appeal to your owner, Philemon, to see you as a son. And I'm actually going to request your freedom. 
Now, there are a number of lessons that we can learn when we examine this little letter of Paul's. Just 25 verses, about 335 words in the Greek language, just one page. And so we're going to take a few of those and look at them with regard to what do you do when you do it to have a tough talk, because Paul had that tough talk in the form of a letter. And the first thing I want to share with you, one of the lessons is don't avoid them. Don't avoid them. Trust God and, and, and do your best. It's the Nike model, fits really well here. Just do it. You, can, you, know, you can live your life avoiding those talks or hoping they'll go away or denying the fact that they need to be given or you can courageously say, God, I need your help. I, I'm going to trust you and, and step into this. I, I've come to the conclusion that I think life is a series of crucial conversations. You either choose to run from them Or you make a choice at some point that you're going to step into it. And here's the great thing. When you begin to step into those things and you do it knowing that Jesus is with you and that in that process you'll get to know him better and in that process you'll begin to have opportunities to follow him more closely and in that process you'll actually become like him and in that process you'll probably blow it. Right? You know, I spoke spoke last week about the fact that that we're looking at the name Onesimus, which meant um, useful, and, and he basically became, uh, I mean, use, useful, and he, he basically became useless and then useful again. He, he just couldn't live up to his name. So last Sunday, I'm preaching this message about living into the name that God has given you. And, and I get done, and I just felt the sense of God's presence and the spirit, and it was fun afterwards talking to people. And I decided afterwards I was to go to the Verizon store because my father, um, his phone had broken really literally. I think he dropped it in some water. And so I was going to go get it replaced for him. And I thought, just a you know, quick in and out, I'll get it done, buy the new phone, not a big deal, go to the Verizon store, I go to the Verizon store, and I meet with a person, and, and he is telling me it can't be done. And then this other sweet little girl, pregnant, blue eyes, looking up at me. They're both come because I'm getting a little agitated. My agitation is moving to what is basically just bad behavior, not living up to my name in any way, not living up to a name pastor in any way. I'm angry. I'm feeling inconvenienced. Why can't you just trade in and give me this phone and it was, you know, like that. And eventually they gave me, here's what they, an 800 number to call. How many of you love those? I, I walk out of there disrespecting them, angry and not, this is after a message. And I go to my dad's, I sit down with him, I talk with him, I tell him we can't get him the new phone yet, and I'm in the process, I call the 800 number, looks like we're going to get things underway. The honest truth is I still don't have it, and we're still working on it, but anyway, as I'm pulling out of my dad's parking, out of their parking lot where he lives, it's now about a little after one, I'm hungry, I'm hangry, um... I just want to pull onto six and go west towards my home, and instead... My conscience is pricked, and I'm having a crucial conversation with the Holy Spirit, not something I wanted at that moment. So as I'm driving to the stoplight, I have 
this impression on my heart that says, go back to the Verizon store and ask them to forgive you. And I'm going, every rationale in my mind is saying, I don't want to do it. It's not that big of a deal. They have people treat them like that all the time. Right, right. <laughs> they deserve it. No. All this stuff going on in my mind. And, and here's the problem with a crucial conversation with the Holy Spirit, because you might be having one right now. He's really loving, and he's always right. Isn't that a bummer? And I know he's right, and I don't want to do it. But I turn east, I go to the Verizon store, I walk in there, I find the two employees, I ask them to come together. I, I'm sure when I walk in the store, they wanted to run. <laughs> but they're much better trained than that. They came, they both were there, and I'm saying, you know, guys, I, I, was, I was angry, I disrespected you, I am so sorry, I treated you poorly. Would you forgive me? And the whole time when I'm doing this, they're going, oh, that's okay. No, that's not a big deal. We're just not real trained to have these kind of conversations anyway, right? And they're going on, oh, it's not a problem, it's okay. And in reality, they should have just looked me in the eyes and go, thanks. It really felt crummy, and you should have been embarrassed. <laughs> I have to tell you, I had a choice. I could avoid that. Could have easily rationalized it away. I could do the right, the inconvenient, the humbling, and the time-consuming thing. And I remember as I was driving away from there after saying, asking them to forgive me, thinking, don't do that against you. The problem with sin is it costs you more. If I would have just handled that properly, I would have had a lot more time on my hands. It wouldn't have been inconveniencing. And even greater than myself, it's like Joel was saying, when we were, we're about loving people. I don't know where you're at. It may be that you have to go and say to someone, forgive me, and you've got to quit the rationalizations. It may be that you're in a situation like one of those and someone's coming to you and you need to have that conversation and you need to kind of just say thank you. I appreciate you for doing this. It may be something far more complex than that, but I just want to appeal to you. The first thing you see in Paul is he didn't avoid this conversation. Paul could have easily said nothing and hoped that the whole thing would kind of blow over and, and Philemon would never find out that Onesimus was there and Onesimus, and you know, he could have lived with this kind of sense and never sent the letter. He could have actually given the letter to Tychicus and instead of appealing to him as a request to do something, he could have said, I have the authority, I'm an apostle, and I want you to let him go, and I'm keeping him here with me. He could have done this too, and this is according to Roman law, he could do this with the slave. He could have said, I am giving you the money. I'll even give you a little bit more for what he is worth, and now he's, he's now mine. He could have done that. What is so amazing about Paul is how much he wanted to be like Jesus, how much he wanted to love, how much he wanted to do the right thing. He had all these options. He could have rationalized. 
his way out of this talk, but Paul didn't, and thank God he didn't, because this letter we have as a result of someone having a crucial conversation and not avoiding it. And as hard and as difficult as the issue may be, with no guarantee that Onesimus would have been released. He had no guarantee. I mean, you think of Onesimus going back with this letter. That's huge obedience. There's a lot of obedience in a lot of people's parts in this whole thing. But Paul took the risk. He trusted Jesus like you may need to do. And not avoid that talk. Paul began the discussion. My parents would often use the euphemistic word discussion when we as kids would see them in a heated discussion and we as kids would ask them, hey, mom, dad, don't argue. Ever had that, you know? And my parent, my dad, they're so, we're not arguing, we're just having a, a discussion. Which I knew was an argument. Anyway, if you truly want to grow up and become spiritually, relationally, emotionally healthy person, is this really your goal? It's not about talk. We come here on Sundays, we worship God, but we also say, God, speak to my heart. Which means you will have choices to make, and you may have a choice to make right here. Don't avoid the tough conversations. Lean into them. See them as opportunities to grow. It's another opportunity for you to trust Jesus in your life. And know this, it may not go as well as you'd like it to. Now, on the other hand, I have to share with you people, some of you, you know, there's some of you, you just know to get out there and to say the tough things is a little more difficult to do. Um, For some of you, it's not a big deal at all. You kind of grew up arguing and you know how to get your way and persuade and manipulate and use words to get what you want. I... I come from that kind of situation. My wife comes from the other where we're learning to, I'm trying to learn to give her her voice and, and, and I'm also trying to learn to not to get what I want. Anybody relate to that? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of sharing some dirty laundry here, but you know what? I know that you all can, ex, you know, y'all. I'm using the old uh, Southern Gospel translation. Um, <laughs> understand what I'm saying. And so what we're going to do in a moment is, is look at a, a couple of places here where the person who is giving the tough talk needs to learn some things. But before we do that, I mean, first, don't avoid the talk. The second thing is you need to find your part in this talk and do your best. Okay, don't avoid your talk. Trust Jesus, do your best. Now, the next thing is find your partner. The reason I say that is, is a few weeks ago when, I was right, when we were looking at this, Paul writes this letter primarily to Philemon. That's the first name. He actually says, you look at verse um, one, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, a dear friend. But what's really interesting, and we noted this, is that as soon as he writes to Philemon, our friend and fellow worker, he also includes Aphia which is probably, could have been his wife, more than likely, so it would have an impact on her. And then to Archippus, which is, he says, our fellow soldier, and, and he was, could have been a son, but it is most likely what we probably can say for more, cert, with more certainty is that he was one of the pastors of probably of that church and maybe a number of other churches. And, and then he says into the church, 
that meets in your home. Remember, it wasn't until about the fourth century that we actually had church buildings. For the first four centuries of the church, when it was under persecution, they actually met in homes, and they would usually meet in bigger homes. And so Philemon was probably a wealthy person at a larger home, and I'm guessing somewhere to 30 to 50 people were in this, and they were all getting the letter. And so that's why I say find your part and and do your best, because there are a number of different parts we're going to look at here. Here's the point. The private and crucial conversation that Paul had with Philemon concerning Onesimus actually has an impact on more than just Philemon and Onesimus. It has an impact on Aphia, Archibus, and about 40 or 50 other people. And he includes them for a certain reason, but he's talking to Philemon. It's Philemon's choice to make here, but he includes these others. And so there's three basic groups of people so often in tough conversations that we need to understand, and you may have a part to play At some point, you will always have a part to play in one of these. And one of them, the first is that it's the person who initiates the talk. It's the person who has to make the talk. And then there's the person receiving the talk, right? And then there's people around the talk. That's everyone else. So first, your part. If you're you're the one initiating the talk... I just encourage you, like I said, take the risk. We'll take a moment in, in just a second to go through it, but don't avoid it. And let me also share with you this. Don't feel you have to do this alone in the sense that you've got to just, it's just Jesus and me. Um, the, you, without gossip, if you bring people in, you can, you can come to God, you can ask Jesus. In, in a marriage situation when it's a tough talk, there are times, and I encourage you, I tell, pre, one of the reasons I have people go through premarital counseling with counselors is because I want them to feel prior to the marriage that they can go to a counselor after the marriage. You may be in a situation where you've gone over and over and over again. It may be that you need to bring someone in who's skilled to help you there. It may be that you're in a situation you need to bring some kind of consultant in in a work situation. There are different environments and you need to know one of the ways you find your part by initiating the talk and do your best is you prayerfully trust Jesus, you don't avoid it, and then you look at what are the resources that might be necessary to help me do this the most loving way possible. The second is the person receiving the talk. And for that person, it's not the one who initiates take the risk and and, and do what you need to do to to do your best. The one receiving it needs to listen compassionately. And this is a tough one um, for a lot of people, myself included. Because most often, the natural response is to defend. The natural response is to immediately start thinking in your head about how you're going to respond to what's being said. Anybody do that? And by the time you're doing that, you're not really listening. You're not seeking to understand. You're not listening with what I would call curiosity to say, how is this person thinking? What is making them think this way? The Bible encourages a posture of listening with a sense of compassion to understand how they're thinking and what they're thinking. And it's so important that James, it's really interesting, James in his, his first chapter, he starts talking about the trials you're going to go through. There are going to be all kinds of different trials. I'm sure there are relational trials he's talking about, okay? Not just circumstantial, but relational ones. You're going to go through these. I want you to approach all of them with joy because God is with you and he's in it. And then he keeps going on. He starts talking about it. And at one point in chapter one, he just stops in a sense. And he says this, my dear friends and brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. 
It's found in James chapter 1, 19 and 20. I have a, a, a good friend of mine who has memorized that and, and says that quite often. Just, we're talking all out of the blue. Okay, that's cool. Um, I don't know if it's a way of trying to help me, but anyway. It says, for a person's anger does not bring about the righteous life, the right things, the good things that God desires. So how do you do that? Well, one, it comes in practice, it comes in time, it comes to, as you grow in a deeper sense of, of the fact that God loves you and security and some personalities, some temperaments can do this better than others. Some of it has to do with your family history. So if the first thing is that we're going to talk about is you listen with compassion and you do seek to understand another very important part if you're on the receiving end of things in a tough talk is to hold the conversation outside yourself. Does that make sense? Uh, I, I learned this earlier in my life and I'm so grateful for it as a pastor because you'll have, you know, I will often have tough talks. Um, I'll be on the receiving end of those sometimes and and there's really things that I need to understand. But one of the things that I've learned is not to take what's said to heart too soon. In fact, one of the things I do is what a, a therapist friend shared with me is that when the conversation comes, as best you can, kind of hold it out here. I heard another person say what they do is they put a plexiglass screen um, between them and they let all the words hit the screen and stay there. Because what happens if it comes into your heart too quickly, you are going to defend because it feels like an attack. And what you, if you can, take it and you hold it out there. And one of the things I found in holding it out there is the person who is coming, is they're coming with their truth, lowercase t. And you're sitting with your truth. Remember, it's not now uppercase. It's still lowercase t. And we're seeking to find what? God's truth, the reality in the whole thing. That's what it is. God knows. And the only way that can happen is if you say on that receiving end where you listen with compassion and you seek to understand and you take all that and then one of the great habits of your life, I can share with you one of the great habits that God has formed in my life is to take time where you get away and you take some moments and you do this consistently because when you have those kind of tough talks, you're on the receiving end of it. One of the great things to do is, and for my sake, I journal. I basically take that talk and, and usually when a person will share it with me, I'll say, you know what, I'm so grateful you shared that. I want it. I'm going to take this and I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to pray about it tomorrow morning when I have my time alone with the Lord. I'm going to take that and I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to journal. I'm going to ask God for wisdom because I want his capital T truth. Because what we want to do is grow into becoming loving people. Now, I have to share with you, there's sometimes where you can be in that time, you can even be with the Lord, and you're still having trouble discerning. Because we are so often a part of what we've grown up with. We're so often a part of our emotions in that moment. And, and, and sometimes it's really important to be able to take that and then even sit down with someone. And again, this is not gossip. If you're doing it out of a deep sense of trying to understand and really love and, and to bring it before the person and say, you know, this was said. Can you help me? Is there some truth in this? And then you've got to be ready for them to say, yeah, this is true. Another important aspect of being on the receiving side of a tough talk as you hold that conversation out there is, um, 
is when you, when you listen with compassion and then you begin to start saying, God, what is your truth? Is then to kind of be able to go back and, and, and share and say, I, I see this. There's another part. Initiating a talk takes trust, it's risk, you do it with Jesus, and we're going to talk more about that. The second part is receiving, listening with compassion, um, keeping it outside yourself, and then beginning to act on and and do what what God shows. And and there's a third part. It's what I call everyone else. You know what's so interesting in this letter, this private matter, this personal decision does and has public implications, and Paul knew that, and that's why he included them. He knew that Onesimus, in this situation, his running away was a public matter. There's no secret. And there are certain matters that we obviously, you will need to keep private. There are certain things, and those kind of cases where they're between two people, it may be in a family, it may be in a business, a school, a church, there are some issues that need to be kept private or you invite someone in as a counselor or or consultant or those kind of things, there are some times where they need to be private, but there are some issues that other people just find out about, right? Or they just know it or they're a part of it. And so how do you do? If you're on the outside and you see two people and you, you see, or even two groups, how do you come, what do you do? Well, I think it's really interesting is I believe that, that what you see, I believe because of how things turned out, most of them must have objectively supported them. Does that make sense? You're on the outside. Um, What often happens, one of the most common and least helpful responses of those on the outside is to personally take that person's offense, right? So the person receives it, they're offended, they can't believe it, they come to you in their offense, and what do you do? Instead of objectively supporting them and loving them, you go, I can't believe that. I just, unbelievable. And you just fuel the fire, and, and, and then you tell someone else, and that's how divisions take place. That's how you get big splits, because now people are offended for one another, and eventually the offense becomes a divide. And, and what the scripture calls us to do is not to enter into the other person's offense, but to stand on the outside and to objectively, lovingly support which means to say, God, what is the big T in this? Anybody, anybody in that situation, you know what that's like? Well, I believe those are the three parts, and I believe we're called to do those well. So let me just share with you then a couple other points. When you look at this and you find the person who initiates a talk, because that's really what we see here, most of it is what Paul does, he presents his, what I would encourage you to do is present your case. You're initiating the talk, you're trusting the Lord, present your case as best you can. And if you study this letter, you cannot help but see Paul presents his case as tactfully and persuasively as possible. Martin Luther had a trouble with this little letter, Philemon, because he labeled it holy flattery. And Luther wasn't necessarily the most tactful person either. One commentator, um, as he goes through the letter, lists 15 tactful persuasive statements by Paul in these short 25 verses. He begins 4 through 7. He he says, keep, Paul tactfully says, keep doing what you're doing. Verse 8, I have the authority, but I'm requesting. Verse 9, I appeal to love, not authority. He goes on in verse 10, he uses circumstances of his imprisonment to give additional force to his request. I'm an old man. 
a father with a new son. He's, he's, these are all tactful ploys. Paul begins his request in verse 8 after calling this person his son who became his son while chains. Finally, in verse 10, in the Greek, at the, at the very end of the sentence, you're going on, you're into nine verses, you don't know who he's talking about, and finally, at the end of the sentence, it's not in the in English translation, but in the Greek translation, it comes to the end of it, and he finally says, Onesimus. <laughs> He's kind of building all this up, and finally he puts out who he's talking about. Paul speaks of Onesimus in verse 11 about his profitability. In verse 12, he says he's not a son, but a dear son. Verse 13 and 14, Paul sacrifices in sending Onesimus back. Verse 15, he talks about the transformation of Onesimus. Verse 16, the spiritual change from servant to brother. Verse 17, he appeals to love and welcome Onesimus as if he were Paul himself. Verse 18 and 19, the promise that he'll rest, he's of restitution, he'll pay. Verse 20, the joy and refreshment that it would bring Paul if, uh, if Philemon did what he was asking. Verse, 14 is, uh, um, verse 21 is interesting. Paul's confidence and belief in Philemon that he's going to do what is right. He gets in here, and, and I think it's interesting because you look at, at verse 21, and he, and he says, confident of your obedience. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's like, a, it's a sales approach. He, he says, and now which color do you want after you present the whole thing, right? And then finally, he says, prepare a room. I'm hoping to visit soon. There's a few things I just want to share with you as you present. With wisdom intact, as best you can, the whole reason you're, you're using tact and you do this with wisdom is to remove obstacles. That's what Paul was seeking to do. He was trying to remove obstacles so that he could see, so Onesimus could see things, I mean, that Philemon could see things the way that, that as Paul saw it, that God saw it from the, the, the viewpoint of the gospel. And you can note this to be the case because you, could just, you can see... Um, his lack of selfishness. He says, I'm sending him, in verse 12, who is my heart, or the message says, is my right arm. I'm going to lose my right arm. And in sending Onesimus, he was aware that Philemon might keep him a slave. In fact, he may have been a slave for a period of time. We don't even know. And when you think about it, when Paul was doing this, he was constantly trying to remove obstacles because the goal was to help change the perspective of who we are in love in relationship to one another. With courage and tact, as best you can, not only remove the obstacle, as, as best you can, um, present what you believe to be true. And this will take way too much time, but I have to share with you, um, my wife and I had a great opportunity about six years or so ago where we went to this thing in Arizona. Where it, was, it was like a, a heavy um, kind of communication therapy thing. And... And the person just was teaching communication and used us as a model in front of a bunch of other therapists, which is a really kind of an interesting place to be, um, with our own stuff. And just was teaching us about the fact that one of the best ways to communicate is to be able to just say what you know to be true. You present the data that you go off, go, yeah, you agree on. Like, yeah, you slammed, or not you slammed, but the door slammed. Yeah. And then I interpret it as you slammed the door because you were angry, da, da, da. And then it would be something, and this isn't a true one, I'm making this one up, okay? Um, just so you guys don't think, you know, got anger issues. Anyway, um, 
And then the third is, so it's kind of what actually happened, you agree on? And then what it is is your interpretation of it as the person who's initiating talking. And then the third thing is, this is how it made me feel. And it's this process that helps you kind of move to a place. Paul is kind of doing that. He was, he was moving all the way and, and, and with courage and tact as best he could. He, believed what, you know, he, he presented what he believed was true. He was removing obstacles. A third thing, with humility and tact, he was pursuing relationship. When you're initiating conversation, especially those of you who, who like to do this, the, the point is not to win the argument. It's not about being right. It's not about using the force of your argument to get your way. It's all about developing a deeper and stronger relationship. And with love and tact as best you can, seek to influence. I think this is really interesting. There is a huge difference here. Tact is about influence. It's not about control. It's not about trying to manipulate to get what you want. So, there's a a guy, his name is um, Michael Hyatt. He's a business leader and he writes this. I often hear leaders complaining about their lack of control in various situations. They say, if only the sales department reported to me, I could consistently um, hit my budget. Or if the, the production department reported to me, I would have not run out of inventory. And he goes, what they are saying is, if I could control the people, I could guarantee the results. And the truth is that control is an illusion. You can't control anyone, even the people who report to you, let alone the one person you can truly control yourself. However, while you can't control anyone except yourself, you can influence nearly everyone. This is the essence of true leadership. And by this definition, he writes, Jesus, Paul, and others like them were incredibly great leaders. They had control of virtually no one, yet their influence changed the course of history. Now, I say that because the last thing I want to say to you is it's about influence. Because if you're going after relationship and if you're moving towards it because you want to clear the obstacles and you really are seeking love and you're moving into this direction as one who's initiating and you're not trying to win, you're not just trying to get your way, here's really a critical issue that you find in this, in this whole letter. It's this. As best you can, honor the person's choice. What's amazing through this whole letter is Paul takes the initiative, he doesn't avoid this tough talk, he presents his case as tactfully as he can, and throughout it he remembers to honor the person's choice. And you may think when you read the letter with as tactful as it is, that that the pressure is so great that finally, you almost go, finally men had no choice, right? And yet he did. And just because Paul masterfully makes his case does not mean that Philemon couldn't choose because we read the Bible all the time and it's very clear. It tells us things we should do, makes commands, appeals to us in all kinds of different ways, tells stories and about the consequences of doing it and we all still, as masterfully as the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, we all have the opportunity. I could have turned west and not east. And one of the things that happens, and you see in this, is in the face of God's persuasive word and his spirit's conviction, God still honors our ability to choose. His desire is this, 
in our relationships with one another is that like Paul's appeal to Philemon, he wants us to choose from our heart out of love and not out of coercion. You don't want to be married to a robot that does anything you want. Our will, the person's will, and you're in this conversation, is the essential gift of God. It's central to what it means to be created in his image. I'm going to ask the band to come on and I'm going to read to you because this power of request is so essential to allow a person to heart's response of love is what builds mutuality among people. Listen to what Dallas wrote in his great book, Divine Conspiracy. He's commenting on Jesus' talk on Matthew 7. Where in Matthew 7, the first five verses, he's coming to the end of his talk on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't use blame or condemnation to get and manipulate others. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Because, this is so often misinterpreted, because he says, don't even force good things upon others. You can't push good things on others through force when they don't value it. And then he says, seek, ask, and knock. It's all about request. And he says, as long as I'm condemning my friends and relatives or pushing my pearls on them, I am their problem. They have to respond to me. That usually leads to their judging me right back and biting me, as Jesus said. But once I back away, maintaining a sensitive, non-manipulative presence, I am no longer their problem. As I listen, they do not have to protect themselves from me. They begin to open up. I may quickly appear to them as a possible ally and resource. And now they begin to sense their problem to be the solution they have. Now they begin to sense their problem to be the situation they have created or possibly even themselves. Because I'm no longer trying to drive them. Genuine communication, real sharing of hearts becomes attractive possibility and the healing dynamic of the request, which Jesus talked about, naturally comes into play. As long as we respect them and are thoughtful and gracious, we keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking on the door of their lives. We respect and never forget that the latch of the heart is within Asking is indeed the great law of the spiritual world through which things are accomplished in cooperation with God and in harmony with the freedom and worth of every individual. I'm going to ask you to stand. And I just want you to take a moment here. And I kind of concluded this with these four thoughts. I'm going to ask you to hear those and then... I'm just going to dismiss us. Is there a tough conversation you've been avoiding? Do you need to ask forgiveness or give forgiveness? Or maybe be like Paul, used in the process to initiate and help that with someone else. How would tact help in relationship with another? Are you using blame, condemnation, or even trying to get someone to do what you know is good, and yet they're not ready for it? Are you respecting another person's choice? Let's pray. Father, there's so much in this little letter. We come before you and we just say, God, 
help us not to be people who avoid these kind of talks. Help us not to be people who reject what it means to do what our part is. Help us to present as clearly as we can. And then, God, help us to always honor the other person's will and choice. We pray these things in Christ's name.